When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show. It's questions from the audience from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan. And it is a pleasure to be rejoined with the great Gangster Pete, who is with us live from the world headquarters in Kirkwood, Missouri. Uh, hello, Gangster Pete. What's up? Gangster Pete, are you happy to be doing this, or do you just like when I would record it and I would email it to you and you wouldn't have to participate? Be honest with me. I, uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy having you on, but I just was kind of like, ah, I won't bother you with it, and I'll record it whenever I can, and uh, and, and 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 you know, just email it to you. But when you said, hey, if you wanted to record it, we can do it live on tape, and uh, and then I'm like, oh, good, I want to be able to bounce things off you. But I didn't know if you're just like, ah, I'd rather not, uh, I'd rather not. No, I have fun with it. it. It's, I mean. Kind of fun. It's a little, it's right. something a little different, you know. I, I like I like having you on as well. All right, so now we're on uh, now we're on the same page. All right, we got a bunch of questions here, bunch of questions. And as always, my goal will be to try to answer them all. And inevitably, I will spend forty minutes on one question. I feel like that's coming. Um, but we got questions on the TMA fan page, and we have questions uh, via email. T McKernan at insidestl.com. Let me call up both and get things going, Jack Gangster Pete. Here we go. If Mayor Pete, as in Buttigieg, was not gay, would he be the favorite to win the Democratic nomination, in your opinion? This one comes from the TMA fan page. Gangster Pete, you're first. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I think it would help him. I mean, I think there's parts of the population that would be more willing to vote for him, for sure. As far as the Democratic nomination goes, I just don't think it's making enough of a difference at this moment to be the reason why he is not, as we broadcast and as we're recording this, it is on February 26th, 2020. Who knows what will happen over even the next uh, few days, much less few months. But I don't believe that that is the reason. Now, I always try to take a step back and go, I cannot relate to what his experience is uh, as a gay man, uh, what, 38 years old, give or take, and, uh, and, and, and running for president. I mean, how can anybody possibly relate to that? But uh, on the other side of it, which some people may or may not like, maybe they didn't like the first statement, on the other side of it, those who, you know, it's something I personally disagree with, but of course we know it exists, and as opposed to shitting on those people, um, to say, I know that there are people who are of uh, a strong religious faith 
who believe that that is morally wrong and then therefore they cannot support someone who is gay. Uh, and as opposed to going, and how about these fucking rednecks who think that, you know, whatever. Whether one likes it, dislikes it, agrees with it, disagrees with it, since we know that we're talking about a healthy percentage of the population on both sides of this discussion, I think it's only right to treat each with respect as opposed to shitting on the one we disagree with. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't care any less. And I think, I think a lot of people say they couldn't care less, but maybe they do care. I really, I, I don't even, when I'm watching him, it doesn't even like cross my mind that he's gay. It also doesn't cross my mind that Joe Biden's straight. I, it just isn't something <laughs> that's, that's registering. You know what I mean? I'm listening to him. And when I'm watching, and I mentioned this on the radio show this morning, of the six who are on the stage, to me, it is crystal clear that he is the most level-headed of the six. Now, that doesn't mean that that is the only qualification, but to me, that's crystal clear. Now, for me, that is an important trait. Uh, I think it's a very important trait in most leaders. I think there will be some exceptions, like coaches, for example, where um, some teams, some players need somebody to get, get them fired up and start screaming and yelling. Um, but for a person in that spot, in that role, I think it's incredibly important. Um, and I am, I am impressed by it. Uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily would say that he is somebody who I am uh, inspired by at this moment. I was inspired by Barack Obama. I was inspired by John McCain. Um, any politicians who have inspired you, Gangster Pete? I think you might be like give me a no on this but i'll ask before i uh, continue with my diatribe uh i'm more on the side of i distrust most of them yeah no i understand that and i and i, I suppose i if you're t- if i would interpret that literally i would agree with you on that because that would mean we're ca- talking 51 percent, and so i would agree with you on that but i don't do the the blanket thing not that you just did you didn't of oh they're all liars they're all cheaters whatever I don't believe that that's the case I really don't believe that's the case I actually vehemently disagree with it but if you're isolating it to is the majority yes I would say the majority so my my premise is he doesn't inspire at this moment um, I do think he is um, I don't know what the right word is he's choreographed I think is the word I would use very measured it seems like that's a great that's out. another great word that's a great word measured. Um, but, I mean, I just look at the rest, and I'm just like, wow. I, now, I do believe Bernie Sanders is authentic. I, I, I absolutely, I've said that a few times on this, and when we talk about it on the radio, and I, when I do get involved in the discussions on the radio. Um, but I, I, I really, I don't know. I just, I mean, it, isolating the question for what it was. If Mayor Pete was not gay, would he be the favorite to win the Democratic nomination, in your opinion? And I would say No. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm anxious. Let me put it this way. I'm anxious to see what happens in South Carolina. I have, when we talk about this, I've been saying for the last few weeks, I said, I think he's going to do well in Iowa. I was surprised by how well he did in New Hampshire. Um, but I always said that I thought South Carolina was going to be brutal for him. Um, and let's see. If he has a strong performance in South Carolina, then... I think that would open people's eyes. Um, I think if Joe Biden wins South Carolina, there may be what seems to be a concerted effort 
by non-Sanders supporters, which are really essentially about 65% of uh, Democratic voters. Uh, but it doesn't matter. You get 35% when you're chopping up five uh, candidates' votes the other way. 35% going to win it for you. But it seems to be, minus Warren, a concerted effort uh, on the outside to try to get one of the moderates, and I don't think it's Bloomberg, so Klobuchar, Buttigieg, or Biden, to be the one left standing sooner rather than later to try to have a mathematical chance to pass Sanders, not just because the thought that Sanders cannot be beat Trump, which may or may not be true, but I think everybody listening to this would agree that that is a prominent thought process at the moment. But in addition, because if Sanders is the presidential nominee in November, that it could impact races for Democrats down the ticket. And so even if people are like, oh my God, Joe Biden's not the guy, Joe Biden would ha- be more likely to not negatively impact moderates in November. Now, would you say the same thing about Buttigieg? See, I would say Buttigieg, now maybe I'm wrong on this, and I'll ask this, gangster people. What I was about to say is, I think of the six, Buttigieg would have the best chance to beat Donald Trump, even though I would not pick him at this moment to beat Donald Trump. What is your opinion, sir? I would agree with that. I think that, Buttigieg has a better chance of getting some of the people that possibly voted for Trump in the past elections. And I think Sanders would have less of a chance of grabbing those people. The only thing I would say to kind of play devil's advocate, even though it sounds like we're both on the same page on it, is if you do want to use in your handicapping model the passion as a way to try to quantify interest... And if you do want to enter into a thesis that there, it doesn't matter, even if it's Bernie Sanders, there is just going to be a huge number of, of Americans who are just going to vote against Donald Trump, whether it's a Democratic Socialist or, or a gay man or Joe Biden, who may appear <laughs> to have lost his fastball, it doesn't matter that the Bernie Sanders passion element from the people who uh, follow him is, I think, maybe I'm off on this, but I think it's clearly greater than anybody else who is running on the Democratic side right now, which then could draw to, well, you know, Hillary Clinton did, you know, win the popular vote by millions, but Donald Trump had the passionate support. And there were plenty of people who were just going to say, yeah, Donald Trump certainly says some weird shit, and I'm not sure everything's folk, you know, on the right page there, but I can't vote for Hillary Clinton. And therefore, the passionate people and the I won't vote for Hillary Clinton people will rally and get them over the top, and that's what happened. And so if you want to apply that, and I don't know if you can, I don't know if it's apples to apples, uh, because we are entering the word socialism into the discussion, which certainly wasn't the case with Trump in 2016. But if you do want to apply that, that Sanders will have that passionate 35%, and then the large group of people who go, okay, Sanders, I just don't agree, but he's not Donald Trump, and therefore I will vote against Donald Trump, and so I will vote for Bernie Sanders, that perhaps Sanders can win. So I put that out there trying to apply what we saw in 2016 with Trump's huge amount of support and the rallies that became like concerts versus the Hillary Clinton ones that just didn't have the same enthusiasm. And clearly there was not a passionate, large following of Hillary Clinton relative to Donald Trump's. 
thoughts on that thesis, Gangster Pete? Uh, yeah, I think that all makes sense. But I also think you might have a whole whole gang of uh, 401k voters that are going to vote for the opposite of Sanders no matter what, even yeah. on the Democratic side. They're like, yep. wow, I'm watching this, except for the last couple of days. I'm watching my value rise every day, and it might be more worth it to, might be more worth it to them. Uh, they don't want to risk think, it. I think I think that's I think that's a I just I don't know. I, you know what? While we're doing this, I'll just go ahead and look at it because I like to to see where it is because it does move. Uh, I'll be curious to see what. It, last time we checked, and I just do it live while we're recording the questions from the audience podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, sponsor of the uh, questions from the audience. Studios and our guest studios here on the Tim McKernan Show, uh, thehomeloanexpert.com. If you're buying a home, if you're refinancing, uh, make sure you're going to thehomeloanexpert.com. It's that simple, thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, uh, sponsor of our studios. Uh, that uh, these presidential odds, if I'm not mistaken, Trump was either minus 165 or minus 175 to win. Now, that's on Bovada. That's where I go and I get this uh, knowledge. So let me see what we got here as of... February 26th, 2020, the morning after uh, a debate. Here's what we got. Um, Bernie Sanders. Whoa. Gangster Pete? Oh, this is South Carolina. I was about to say. What? How did I miss this? So Biden is minus 225 to win South Carolina. Sanders is plus 180. Klobuchar plus 10,000. Warren plus 10,000. Buttigieg plus 10,000. And Tom Steyer plus 10,000. Uh, Bloomberg not uh, in in South Carolina. Um, which Democratic candidate for president will drop out next? Tulsi Gabbard plus one seventy five. Tom Steyer plus two fifty. Amy Klobuchar plus three hundred. Elizabeth Warren plus nine hundred. Joe Biden plus one thousand. Pete Buttigieg plus sixteen hundred. Michael Bloomberg plus two thousand. Bernie Sanders plus ten thousand. Any any interest in that play, Gangster Pete? We like to wager. We're talking politics. Here is the confluence of the two. I was uh, looking up the two t- the presidential election odds while you were saying that, so okay. I didn't catch it all. Um, I think there's value on Elizabeth Warren being the next to drop out. Like I didn't realize, outside of the fact that people say she hasn't officially dropped out, that Tulsi Gabbard's not in. So. I don't really know why. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe she will. It, it doesn't seem like she's really doing much. Uh, Steyer certainly is in play um, as he's gained ground with African-American voters. Odds to win it all. Warren's like almost even with Mike Pence. So, uh, Yes. I, well, I haven't gotten to that yet. I'm going I'm going in order here on this. So I'm saying that, wow, would, and, that would be a logical, logical and as And by the way, as we're out. sitting here talking, uh, Biden was minus 225 to win South Carolina, and as we are sitting here talking, he just moved to minus 400, <laughs> and Sanders moved to plus 350. I have no idea what the hell just happened, but Biden just got a, uh, I mean, a substantial, the odds changed substantially. How about that? But as Rogan? far as somebody dropping out, yeah, you're making reference to the, the presidential odds and the Warren. I mean, I just feel like that's that's live. Now, if Biden somehow did not win South Carolina, I would say that would be the case, but because, and we just saw those odds. Biden just got a Clyburn endorsement. Ah, and that's what moved it that much. Eight minutes ago. That's what moved it that much. How about that? That's legitimately intriguing to watch uh, happen live. That I would make my, I would make my play on Elizabeth Warren. Amy Klobuchar, though, God. 
Hmm. I think I think I think that this is actually really a bettable play. I mean, if you're getting three to one or nine to one, you could put a hundred on both of those. Yeah, I was gonna say I'd play them both. Yeah, and if and if you hit on Klobuchar, you've you've profited a hundred bucks, and if it's Warren, you've profited seven hundred bucks. The only way, I mean, again, the only being, you know, that's not fair. But if Biden didn't win. Uh, you got a problem there. I suppose the way to cover it there is to throw a hundred on Sanders, and now you've uh, that, now you've got that. But is if Galt, Gabbard or, or Steyer were to drop out, I just don't know what they're doing now. Biden just dropped to three fifty. This is fascinating to watch these markets move like this. All right, presidential one. That was the one that we were talking about. Trump is still minus one sixty five, so that hasn't changed. Sanders plus two eighty five, Bloomberg plus seven fifty, Biden plus sixteen hundred, Buttigieg plus twenty five hundred, Warren plus seventy five hundred. Klobuchar plus ten thousand, Hillary Clinton plus twelve five, Mike Pence plus fifteen thousand. I gotta tell you, just for the hell of it, I would throw a hundred bucks on Mike Pence. Not because, not, listen, not not because I'm like I think this or that. It's just like if something were to happen, I still I still <laughs> think the Republican would have a very good chance of winning. And so, to to me. To get paid off fifteen thousand dollars on a hundred dollar bet, I think that's got value. I really do. <laughs> I, I think of all of these that I just listed, I think it's actually the best value. Not because I think it's going to happen, but just because betting one hundred sixty five dollars to win a hundred isn't really the greatest thing in the world. Um, and so, yeah, from that standpoint, I don't know. I guess. I guess. I guess. Biden could get some momentum in South Carolina, and then maybe it'd be like they consolidate around him. But Bloomberg isn't going anywhere. Bloomberg's He's so bad at debating. Oh, is it? I mean, but but I, and listen, that's two different conversations. Oh, I agree. But but because but, so but, but but I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It's stunning. And I was watching an analysis after the the, the Las Vegas debate, and I can't recall who was saying it. I think it might have been Andrew Yang. Oh um, boy. Yes, who said, I think it was. It was either Andrew Yang or Van Jones. And and people are like, oh, fuck both those guys, whatever. But let's just, just hear this out because it is important. If you're working for Michael Bloomberg, you're working for Michael Bloomberg. You're not a uh, somebody hired from the outside to coach him. You are a part of Michael Bloomberg's, you know, empire. And so, therefore, it's different than if you are, you know, Rahm Emanuel coaching Barack Obama or David Axelrod coaching Barack Obama uh, or Steve Schmidt coaching John McCain. Um, I don't know who coaches Donald Trump. That 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 <laughs> might not be a, a great parallel on that because clearly that's just a, that's just kind of an improv offense. But the the premise on Bloomberg is it, you're in a different spot coaching him because you are one of his employees, and. You know, where he not only, you know, with attempts at humor and just just bad delivery and lacking charisma and you just how Donald Trump would eat him up and spit him out. But it's a lack of preparation for questions that you knew you were going to be asked. And you just go, God, does he even care? Or the people prepping him just were in a spot like, yeah, we can't like tell the boss he's doing this wrong. It's so bad. But either way, the second part of it, what I was saying with the, with the two different conversations, is Bloomberg's strategy has always been built around Super Tuesday, skipping Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. 
And so we know he's not going anywhere. So in other words, you won't have a Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden or a Bernie Sanders versus Pete Buttigieg on Super Tuesday. You will, will have, no matter what, a Bernie Sanders, Michael Bloomberg, and take your pick of the Klobuchar, Biden, Buttigieg. Uh, and so still, that is going to divide the votes. It's not going to divide the votes as much if others were to drop. But it's, it is relevant. Those, those will be factors. So that's, that's something that's just making it very difficult. I just, I, still, in my mind, I'm just like, if, and I don't know how it's possible at this point. But still, somebody else running. Like, I'm looking at this list of just, like, random people who aren't even running Deval Patrick is still on here at plus 50,000. Tulsi Gabbard's plus 50,000. Deval Patrick is out. Uh, Kasich's at plus 50,000. You know, like, I'm just throwing this out there just for the point that I'm trying to make. If, and I don't even know if it's even possible, if Michelle Obama announced today that she was running for president, don't you think she could win the Democratic nomination? I think she that'd be likely. Yes. And that's what I'm saying about what what the landscape is. Uh, it's just it's just nuts. Now, I don't know if that would necessarily be the case with Hillary Clinton, but Michelle Obama, yes. Um, and I'm not saying that that's even been talked about, but my, my premise is that you've had four years or three and a half years of being consumed by this president. And this, this group of, I guess, it's seven people who are on the debate stage, uh, last night in South Carolina. This is the best of the best. It's just very tough to comprehend for it's me. It's unbelievable. Right. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, it, isn't it just, it's just, I, I'm, I'm in awe of it. All right, I'll stick on the fan page on this. Um, who has the right to be the bantiest right now? Cardinal fans, Cub fans, Red Sox fans. Uh, I'm referencing Derek Gould's comment uh, when he was on you with a, on TMA with you guys yesterday. Uh, Gangster Pete. Uh, I mean, I would be banty if my team got rid of Mookie Betts. Uh, I guess I'm a little confused why the Cardinals haven't done more to improve the lineup. Uh, I'm not banty guy, though. Like, I'm more of a wait and see. I assume that we've got a plan, and if we have need to make adjustments along the way, we will. I know that's a little more reasonable than some people like to be, but that's just, just how I play it. Uh, I agree with you in the I'm not banty guy. That's usually where I am when it comes to most sports topics, unless I feel like somebody is being intentionally deceitful in the Rams situation. Um, but uh, with with regard to the Cardinal situation, I'm not sure there is a plan. Um, <laughs> good, good. Uh, good to hear. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll expound on that. I think... And Derek, because and I, I, I presented this to Derek yesterday, because I do think the Dylan Carlson thing is something to keep a very close eye on. And Dylan Carlson could be the organization's out. That was if pretty Dylan, amazing to hear what Derek said about him yesterday. Yes, uh, that he is the most impressive player he has seen at, I guess, the word I left out when I tweeted it was Cardinal Major League Baseball. Camp. And Derek, he's a pretty reserved guy. Like That's pretty right. high praise from him. And, uh, and then he went and said oh, I want to make sure that I you know didn't say say that I because I when I saw John Carlos Stanton I was surprised he said that I didn't realize that Stanton flashed that much uh, but I guess you know the Marlins camps a couple hundred yards away from the Cardinals and he could have walked down there and seen his power and Jason Hayward that surprised me um, but I mean you know I mean that's obviously there's some there's some we, we have history now here over the last X amount of years that both those players while both certainly making a lot of money 
are probably uh, would be put in the category of being overpaid for what they are delivering as of the last year or two. But with that said, the Dylan Carlson thing could be the organization's out. In other words, if Dylan Carlson comes up, I mean to say and put up Pujols 2001 rookie numbers, that, that would be asinine. But something where people are talking about him as rookie of the year, then the Cardinals can say, well, we thought that he was going to be our answer in left field, and that's why we didn't get aggressive in the offseason. But they don't want to hype him right now. That's kind of the theory that the Cats been on throughout the course of the offseason. Still doesn't necessarily explain away the Matt Carpenter extension, which then gets me to why I don't think there is a plan, um, because I think they're stuck with a bunch of dead money, and they're just kind of eating shit and hoping that Carlson, take your pick of whoever else in the outfield, Thomas O'Neill, uh, Carpenter finds it again. Goldschmidt has to be better than what he was last year. DeYoung has to be better than what he was last year. Uh, they'll have Lane Thomas for a full season, whatever the case might be. But internally they know, okay, this is one that, yeah, the division still might be winnable with what we have, but if we didn't do the Matt Carpenter extension, we would have been a hell of a lot more active. If Dexter Fowler wasn't on the books for this year or next year, we would have been a hell of a lot more active, but we can't say that publicly. That's what I think is going on. Um, but that, that, and that's why I say I don't think they necessarily have a plan. So uh, to answer the question, Cardinal fan, Cub fan, Red Sox fan, I mean, two years ago the Red Sox won the World Series. So if you're really banty about that, uh, I, I had a, I'd have a tough time with it. At the same time, they did trade away, what, the second best player in baseball, third best player in baseball? Uh, in the in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for one of those two spots. Cub fans, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really know what the Cubs are doing. Um, they didn't. I mean, the Cubs did less than the Cardinals this offseason, right? Uh yeah. They, Which, didn't do, they didn't really do anything. Yeah, I mean, because because the only way you can do less than the Cardinals is to do <laughs> nothing. So, because uh, the Cardinals have what KK and Miller, and that's what they have to show for it. So, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess let me put it this way. The Red Sox are two years removed from a World Series, so and not even. I mean, they're, what, 16 months from winning a World Championship? I just I would have a tough time being really banty about that. At the same time, the Cardinals are four months removed from being in the NLCS. But I think of the three, I think of the three, the Cardinals are the team where you can go, yeah, if they were to add... X, Y, or Z offensive product, they would be the one most likely to win the World Series. Again, that doesn't mean they're most likely of any team, but of the three to win the World Series. And when you do nothing in the offseason to tend to your offense, it just, you know, it just really, I mean, this is the first time at spring training. First off, I would describe spring training as kind of boring. Um, Again, using that relative Usually there are a variety of storylines, some of which are dramatic, like two years ago, which is if Mike Matheny doesn't win, he's going to lose his job this year. Um, And others can be, you know, like what Albert Pujol's situation was going into 2011. Others can be Adam Wainwright, who injured and had to get Tommy John in 2011. Um, Or, you know, when there's a guy who, you know, will get an extension like Michaelis or Molina, whatever these extensions that tend to come out. In, uh, in in February or March at spring training. This one, it's just kind of like, okay, they say, 
meet the 2020 Cardinals. Same guys <laughs> as the 2019 Cardinals. Not a real exciting group, but they did go to the NLCS. I will say this. Amongst the team, they are very confident. Um, but I still think also, and I think you could read between the lines in some of the interviews you either heard on my podcast or on TMA, that some of the guys were a little surprised that they didn't do more offensively. But at the same time, if Dylan Carlson really is the second coming, why would major leaguers be aware of that outside of hearsay? So uh, I'm. Uh, it's between the Cardinals and the, the Cubs. I'll go with the Cubs just because they literally did nothing this <laughs> offseason. Uh, and they they are, you know, whatever, 16 months removed from being in the playoffs. So by default, I'm going to go with the Cubs. All right, next question. Is Bernie electable? Yes. Uh, I realize pro- the person probably wants more, but we spent a lot of time on this. Is he electable? Yes, I believe he is electable. I, and I don't hesitate on that. Do I think that means he will win? No, but if there's a question, is he electable? Yes, he is electable. Uh, Gangster Pete. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, next uh, this one, I'm, I'm, and this might put you in a weird spot, Gangster Pete. Okay. Uh, but you know the program. You know that you are not my employee. The audience might not really fully comprehend that. And you, of all the people who have worked with or quote unquote for me, in uh, I guess it's now been ten years since Inside STL has owned the content of the morning after. I and I say this as a compliment. Actually, I enjoy it. You are the uh, least deferential to me of everyone which i enjoy like well, i appreciate you saying that because <laughs> i try Do you not, appreciate I, me saying that yes i try not to kiss anybody's ass yeah i mean it's but but i don't want my ass kissed right i know it, and i intentionally surround myself with and you're you're privy to some of this information and i know no one in the audience hell some of the people on the show aren't even privy to it um with people who like to the point that it's like God, I'm getting this advice from this person and this advice from this person. And I respect both their opinions, but people just don't just go along with it. Oh, Tim said it. Fuck it. I'll, I'll agree. I, I prefer that. I want that. It makes me think. It makes it tougher, I will say that, when it comes to decisions. But with the people working with me, uh, I don't want anybody. And I don't really think anybody kisses my ass. I mean, I know the cat jokes with Iggy about it. And the cat, the cat has created. <laughs> the cat has destroyed the fan page for me with the lemming thing. But he did this with the Inside STL message board 10 years ago. I don't think he did it on, or 15 years ago. I don't think he did it on purpose. But then everybody is so paranoid of giving me a compliment because they don't want to get called a lemming that, like, I get complimented the least of everybody on the show, I think. Now, with that said, I thought a few weeks ago, after the article in the Post-Dispatch, there was a comment made on the fan page, and I'm not going to go into it because then I'd be kind of revealing some of the in-the-room stuff, but there was a comment made by somebody in the thread that I, and, and it's not somebody who normally posts, and I don't even know who the person is, and Pete, I know you don't spend much time on the fan page, but I do want to mention this, and I guess people can dig through the thread if they want to and try to figure out which, which post I'm, uh, which, uh, post I'm, I'm referencing that I read and when I read it, I thought, I have no idea who that person is. I don't think this person knows anybody on the show uh, because I don't think anybody on the show. I don't know how to say that. I, 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 I think we have a pretty tight-knit group on the show. And as I always say, it's not like we're all hanging out together. But I, I think for the most part, the people on the show get that it's important that we don't go running to the media or to people outside the show and saying crap. And, you know, and, and even then, I, I know that what's going on I don't necessarily share it outside of a handful of people so even if some people were saying things they wouldn't necessarily be saying accurate things with that said 
this person posted something, and I thought, wow. And, like, nobody liked it or anything like that. And I'm like, that was one of the greatest posts I've read on the fan page because it hit the nail on the head. But I can't, like, like it or comment <laughs> on it because then I'd kind of be giving away some of some of the situation. But with that all said, that was incredibly astute. And I think this post here is incredibly astute. And he responded to it after I responded to it. Um, and I haven't read his response yet, so I'll read it after I read the initial post. And he's writing this to me. You have a precise and exacting personality. You really try to convey correct information when you speak slash write. Now, I'm sure some people are like, oh, fucking lemon, go fuck yourself. And this is where he digs into me. This can be an exhausting personality trait for those around you as well as yourself. Have you always been that way? I'm like that myself and find that it can turn people off and wear on friends and family. So I was curious if your exacting approach ever drives your loved ones nuts or yourself for that matter. So I responded. Um, I've noticed over the last to this person because I, want, I wanted to ask for examples, not because I was challenging him. He happens to be right on target. But I wanted to hear from somebody who doesn't know me what his examples would be. And I am going to ask you, Gangster Pete which this is why I was saying this could be awkward for you. But as you know, you could motherfuck me, and I'd be like, oh, it's pretty good. He's me motherfucking. That's great stuff. So good for you if you do. Uh, so I said, I, I made reference to the post in, in the thread a couple weeks ago. Um, and I said, in a couple cases, since they have to do with situations, people outside of myself, our show, I can't or won't comment or answer them. But I recall seeing one a few weeks ago that I thought, I've never seen this person post, but he just hit the nail 100% on the head. So in this case, you, Scott is the gentleman's name, have made an astute observation on something I can and will talk about since I'm not getting into airing things outside the room. With that said, I'm curious as to some examples you may have that led to your question. You happen to be right on target, and I think it plays a role in me being perceived by some in our audience as the bad guy, even though I know the lengths slash sacrifices I slash my family have made over the years to keep the show going. But I think some of my personality traits are so odd that they are, seriously, unrelatable and, for some listeners slash readers, therefore unlikable. And so the understandable default click position is to say, this guy is so fucking strange (laughs) that the negative shit I hear about him has to be true and he has to be the bad guy. Uh, So that's my long-winded way of saying what things that you've heard slash read on the show here, podcast, inside STL, have led to you asking this question that happens to have a lot of accuracy to it. Uh, Now, one gentleman who is not this gentleman said, too many people are too sensitive when it comes to others examining their long-held beliefs. You are an intellectual with an active mind. Many people find that hard to digest because introspection makes them uncomfortable. Keep doing what you do. It's what what makes... It's what makes like interesting. I probably my life, and I'm not. I'm not. I. I, I want to make it clear. I'm not distancing myself. This is. This is who I am. Um, but I also know it's weird. And by weird, I mean it's not common. But um, I also know it's not. Like I know I'm not likable. Uh, I'm aware of that. And Pete and you and I had this conversation um, about our fathers. Like people love your dad. Um, and you said it, and then your friends will go, God, I really would rather hang out with your dad than you. Oh yeah. Everybody <laughs> likes my dad more than me by, yes. by a long shot. 
And I am absolutely in that same case. Hundred and a hundred, but I'm not. And it's not a self-deprecating comment where I think we're both being really serious with yeah, this. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I also realize, as I'm saying this, and as you're saying this, ninety-five percent of the people listening to it don't know our fathers at all. I mean, but my my dad can be show content at time, whether it be the joke about him getting me my jobs, or you know, or he owns the parking lot, or whatever. Um, I, some people might know him just as a salesperson, a media salesperson in St. Louis. Um, but he just has a personality that's incredibly gregarious. And I would listen to him make sales calls and just be in awe, 100% in awe, that he could pick up the phone, probably get told to go fuck himself by somebody who's in the middle of working and now has a guy trying to sell him advertising on the phone, which in 20, you know, this was probably more 2012, 2013, but even then, much less 2020, a call is considered invasive if it, if it isn't set up by by not even younger people, by a lot of people. Um, and, and here's a guy not only calling without any announcement that he's going to call, but he's calling and trying to sell you something, two things that just are automatic points of contention for most human beings at this point. Um, but he somehow will make them like like him. And, and he, it's, just, it's just his personality. I'm, I'm in awe of it. I, I truly am in awe of it. And I recognize that's not my personality. But I think sometimes, and I think this can be something you can observe politically, um, that someone who is not likable, then oftentimes that person then gets attached to, they're not necessarily trustworthy, or I won't vote for them or support them because they don't come off as likable. And I think that's a mistake. Um, but... I, I think I think it's at, I think it's at play. Um, I do think it's a play. I think it's something. I know it's a terrible fucking example, um, but I do think in some capacity it's something that Hillary Clinton dealt with. And so you, you did have a number of people who listened to her on Howard Stern go, "Man, I wish she would have done that before the election in November 2016 because she actually sounded like a human being." Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean she would have won, but just as an as an example, I don't know if there's. There's others, maybe Mitt Romney. That's probably a bad example for people like Trump, and I know Mitt Romney's the Antichrist now. Is there anybody else politically who who stands out to you? I don't know if there'd be anybody now um, who you might think they're, they, they you really respect them, but they, they aren't necessarily likable candidates or recent. I'm, I'm, I'm jogging. I'm trying to attempt my Not off the top my, of my head. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean— but, I, I mean, it's certainly a factor. So with that said, so this guy answered, and uh, I'm anxious to hear what he's got because I really haven't read it. Uh, I appreciate the reply. I've been listening to TMA since 2005, so I'll give a general example. When you frame your thoughts on topics you're passionate about, you tend to preface your thoughts with commentary that first defines exactly where you're coming from and then provide your argument for why you believe the way you do. It's almost lawyer-like because you get very specific in what you're going to convey. For example, with the Rams leaving, you presented many examples of why the Rams were in the wrong and how they handled the move. Demoff saying there was no secret plan, the Rams shitting on St. Louis on the way out, etc. It could lead some in the audience to think that you believe the Rams were in the wrong for leaving. However, you then went on to provide reasons for why St. Louis had blood on its hands because our leaders left us open to have the Rams leave in 2016 through poor negotiation from the outset. Therefore, you're not fully in the corner of either side, which is probably why you get some negative feedback, but rather you're calling it as you see it with good arguments to back up your thesis. But that takes an exacting approach. You need to be well-researched to have that approach, and that tends to alienate a person, yourself, from the team, so to speak, because you're not just taking the party line, 
but rather you're defining what each group did wrong. Other examples, you drill down on where you think the Cardinals' real problems lie. There is a belief that the DeWitts don't spend money, but you disagree with that notion and put your focus on talent evaluation. You dislike Trump and probably have many reasons why, but you can't stand that some people will label all Trump voters as bigots. I could go on, but the overarching point is you present specific reasons on where you exactly stand on a topic. Unfortunately, people can be turned off by that because, as my parents will tell me from time to time, it wears them out. So I was just curious if you ever hear that same thing from people close to you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll answer the personal side, and then I'll go to more of the professional side and get Gangster Pete uh, on this, which is why I'm especially glad you're on this show, because when I saw that question, I thought it was a really good question. Because it's actually something that I'm currently struggling with. Um, and again, Pete, you're privy to some of the situation better than anybody else. And, I, and again, I include that to be some of the people on the show. Um, but it really, it's been a, it's been a tough few months uh, because... The professional intertwines with the personal. Um, and that's why if you listen to the podcast, you sometimes get more than, than you will on the radio show, just because I know I'll have the, 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 the time to spend uh, to expound. Um, but with that said, from a personal standpoint, yes, definitely. Because, like, for example, if Anna Marie, and we've been together for 12 years now, uh, if we have an argument, because I have an odd memory... And I don't want to call it good because I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily good. I think it's good on certain things, but it might not be good on other things. But because it's so good on certain things, then <laughs> I might think it's good on other things where it's actually not good. And then it, then it leaves me exposed to thinking I'm right when I'm wrong. So here's another case of me wearing people out with a really uh, loquacious response. But when, when we argue, for example, so I'm kind of getting personal with this, um, the way I argue is 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 rarely with like yelling, um, and I think a lot of that is actually growing up. My dad did yell. I'm not trying to turn this into Goodwill Hunting or anything, um, but it's just the way he was. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why people love him. He's emotional, and it's not that I'm unemotional. It's I'm more, I guess, I, what I think would be rational, and so therefore, when I argue, it's pointed, it's intense. And it's fact-based, and so it's like a cross-examination, but it's done calmly. And therefore, if you're on the receiving end of it, it's got to drive you up the fucking wall, especially if you are all worked up and you just have this person like pointing out why you're wrong <laughs> as opposed to reacting with the same kind of emotion. Um, and I think I, 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 I try to think back to previous relationships and I don't think it was necessarily that way uh, always. I think this is more recent. And I think the reason for it is dated to around the time that my company, the company I'm the majority shareholder of, took over ownership of this show. And so I was eating what I was killing. In other words, I had to you know, I had to live off of what, what we sold. And if we didn't, then, you know, I wasn't going to go and say, okay, I'm going to fire people or lay people off. Um, or Pete and Pete would be, you know, again, getting into the weeds on this, uh, you know, th th what we've had to do with some of the, the adjustments we've made because Inside STL is not the one that owns the podcast. We own the podcast, but we don't sell the podcast. We license the content to Markell Entertainment, which is the parent company of KFNS. So these are all the things that I know people may not care about, but it helps explain things. Um, 
And so with that said, once you are on the other side of the desk, you can't help but see things differently. And not only being on the other, and by that I mean employer-employee, when you're just, when you've only been the employee and you're likely bitching about the boss, which I would imagine almost all employees do, even if the boss is great, um, you're, you're, you kind of have a team. But when you're the employer, you're oftentimes on, on an island. And that doesn't mean you're right. It also doesn't mean you're wrong. But you see things differently once you've been on both sides. And I would also say, I'm this is, a, this is an on-the-fly psychoanalysis. What I went through in 2013 with the Jack Clark, Albert Pujols thing was something that, even though at this point it's almost been seven years, uh, was so brutal because I actually was reading things that I knew was false, but I was told I can't comment for insurance reasons. So I had to just sit there and eat shit, knowing things were being said, written, and some in actual like publications, uh, some by national broadcasters, that were factually inaccurate. But were, were populist rhetoric certainly got people in a frenzy, and you know, and other people didn't know it wasn't true. I mean, people talking about finances, I mean, just shit that nobody would be privy to. And then also people writing about you know, a business, and you're going, wow, you don't know how, like, lines of credit would work. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, just like, but, you, but I can't say anything. It was so scarring. Not because it was so emotionally scarring. It, it, it was so eye-opening to see what happens when you are on the receiving end of the mob that I now, I think by default, will unintentionally align myself with the person who is the target of the mob. Now, that doesn't mean that's where I will wind up after reading all the information, but I now believe that I am so sympathetic to the person on the receiving end of the mob because I've been on the receiving end of the mob, albeit not as intensely as some of these people who get taken out, uh, but still I've been on the receiving end of it that I, 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 and I knew it was wrong, I, and by wrong, I'm not talking about ethically or morally, although I believe it was ethically, morally wrong. I'm talking about factually. And, and then people get so wrapped up by the mob in the echo chamber that if somebody then comes along and goes, well, here is actual proof that what you're saying is wrong, then the mob somehow actually gets angrier. Strange fucking phenomenon. <laughs> but, it, but that's actually what goes on. And so you're almost better... Like if I were to go this through this again, and I think I, I think it, like kind of inevitably, I think I will. I don't know what it's going to be, but I think inevitably I will. I think the best thing to do, maybe I'll run a consulting service for this and like get a place like in, in some Caribbean island, is to just go away for a couple of weeks, because you're going to risk damaging yourself more if you respond to it while the mob is focused on you, um, and then it's like within a within a few days they forget. But for the person, they'll, they'll, they'll live with it forever. The experience, not necessarily that they were wrong, and, but again, they could be. But the experience of going, oh, my God, all these people hate me and they don't know me, and they're basing it on some things that are just factually not true. Uh, it's a brutal thing. You know, I, I, we made it clear earlier on when we were talking about the election that neither one of us, I mean, I don't know who could be impressed by Michael Bloomberg's debating skills. Holy <laughs> shit. 
But, you know, Elizabeth Warren is like, you know, treading water in this thing. And the only thing that keeps oxygen in her system is Michael Bloomberg's presence to her right. <laughs> and and he's just like, you're saying something that's just wrong. But he's so bad at it, he doesn't really do a good job of driving it home. And I just see the exasperation on his face. And my belief is Michael Bloomberg is telling the truth. And he's just like, holy shit, this woman, this woman next to me is just making shit up about me and I can't fucking do anything about it. It's a brutal position to be in. But I also recognize 99.9% of the population has never been in it, will never be in it, and can't possibly relate to it. Um, you know, with, with regard to the article I made reference to in the Post-Dispatch a few weeks ago, there were things in there that just weren't true. You know, and I delicately pointed that out. Again, I have to kind of do this dance. I delicately pointed it out. Um, but still, I was. it's funny. People I don't know, and they'd say, hey, saw that article in the paper. You know, it seems like, you know, this and this, and now you're probably going to have to do something. I go, and, I'm, and my reaction was, because this is, you know, in a, not in a public forum, but I'll say it here. I'm like, you know, motherfucker, this has been going on for months. It, 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 it didn't just happen because it's in the newspaper. It's been going on for months. This doesn't just, like, happen. These things go on for months. The thing that is, I think, you know, impressive, I guess, I think it's a compliment to those involved with the show, is that you would never know that it's going on. We just do our thing and somehow are able to compartmentalize it uh, and still do our show. And it's gone on. It's not gone on for months. It's gone on since the beginning of the show. I mean, the original owners of KFNS when the morning grind went on the radio in 2004 were getting ready to get rid of the show in 2004 within a month because they got so much negative feedback from older people. They weren't used to a show like that. And so, you know, people, people don't know that. And then obviously some of the other, you know, I mean, take your pick of the cat getting fired in 2007 and, you know, all kinds of other, and what led to people go, yeah, Inside STL's owned it for a decade. Well, obviously there were circumstances that led to me having to do that. Uh, and the man and the woman thing and plenty of other things that there truly is a screenplay in there for this. If, if we were to actually go public and talk about it, it would I think it would entertain people who even don't know anything about it. But it's tough when you've when you're an employee, but you've been an employer and some people still think you're the employer and you're not. That's a tough spot. And so that's why I think I have all these disclaimers, and it's, it, it, it certainly could wear people out. It's not as catchy as a one-liner in a debate. Uh, and then secondarily, it's tough getting really worked up about what is you know maybe a personal attack on somebody's behavior or conduct when you feel like you're not getting the whole story and you've been on the other side of it and you've been the target of that and you know that the public didn't get the whole story. Or that there were people intentionally lying to damage you, and you've been on the receiving end of that. And so those are two things that have happened over the last decade, one 10 years ago, one seven years ago, that I believe were the two things that changed me from how I was on the radio from 2004 through two th- part of 2010, uh, and then leading up to then 2013, um, to what I am now, which... Um, certainly is like, okay, I understand this. And so all these like disclaimers, but I hope even if people find that I wear them out, I hope the thing that I the thing that I do care about is this, that I hope when people hear me talk, that they believe what I'm saying. That's what I, that, that's the only thing I feel like I can control that I'm going to be honest with the audience as much as I can be. If, if I'm not going to say something that is dishonest, 
I'm just not going to say anything at all. But that if I'm saying it, I either truly mean it or it is factually true. And I think I still have that, even though I think of the six people on the morning after, um, like from a likability standpoint, I think I might be sixth, uh, fittingly, number six. But, but I think the audience trusts me. If that makes sense. All right, Gangster Pete, I took 25 minutes, I think, with that. Uh, the floor is yours. I'm not going to take 25 minutes. I didn't but, think uh, you would. I understand the exacting personality thing because I'm kind of that way too. But I, could, I can totally see how that would cause bigger problems in your personal life. Like sometimes you're arguing with your wife and she just wants you to take an L and it's hard for you to do. <laughs> you know, it's just let me win one and you're just going back and forth. But uh, as far as, I mean... Looking at both sides, I think that's a positive. That's one of the reasons I'm a huge Rogan guy. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why I don't jump to conclusions right away when I when a story first drops. Because so many people, they use heuristics to make a quick judgment, and that creates a bias, and then new information will come out, and you look stupid for taking that quick stance. Yep. So yep. I think looking at both sides, everything is the way to go. And then as far as like the, the mob coming after people, I always... I always side with the person that the mob's coming after, too, because I've heard so many people on podcasts that have been the victim of that mob, and then they don't really know the whole story. And it's just, it's silly that everybody kind of has that mentality. And, and, and then this, that kind of weaves into, this is something Gabe DeArmond and I were, were texting about um, over the weekend, actually. And I think I might have made reference, I know I made reference to this on the radio show, and I think, uh, and I think, and the cat and I haven't had this conversation yet, I think the cat may have thought I was coming after him, which I was not at all. I wasn't. If I was going to come after somebody on the show, which hardly ever happens in general on the show, I'm talking about even behind the scenes. Uh, I sure as hell wouldn't do it on the air, um, or if it were like a serious thing, I would. It would be more direct. You know, like if we were joking around about something like our usual, you know, roasting of each other. Um, but when I said people, journalists getting addicted to likes. Um, and, I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the cat didn't, but I feel like he kind of made a couple quips about it. And I'm like, oh, I think the cat now thinks I was talking about him, and I wasn't at all, actually. I, the cat, because I feel like the cat's Twitter account's like a parody, you know, with the cardinal <laughs> birthdays and all that, just like, you know, stuff about cargo shorts. I'm talking about columnists. I'm talking about broadcasters who, like, say in 2020 the most vapid shit, but they know it's going to get a bunch of likes and retweets. You get that dopamine drip. And I really do. Th- I think it's so fucking dangerous, man. I really do. I really do. Like, who in? Uh, I don't want to do this. I do want to do it, but I, I don't want. I don't <laughs> do want. it. Well, do what it. I was about to say was, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just ask it in general. And I'm not gonna. I, I don't, don't name names because I don't. I never. I just don't want to ever. I just so hack to like take out other media people in the market. It's just, I, I'm not interested. On top of it, I'm asking like in general. But it's more me kind of longing for Joe Strauss. And, I, and that was one where as I've been way off on the Battle Hawks and way off on the Cardinals offseason moves, I was right. I feel like I was right on that one. I've got six years now. Unfortunately, it's been that long since Joe passed away um, where I, I called it in the moment. He is, and I said he's one of the last credible dissenters. I'm not talking about just like a guy with like 25 followers and a dog avatar tweeting something and dissenting. I'm talking about a credible dissenter. And we've lost that. So my question, which is rhetorical, who in St. Louis do you feel like you can turn to, and if whether it's radio, television, social media, for an opinion that may dissent from what 
everyone else is saying, and it's going to be critical of a local opinion, a local team, in a moment of, you know, a big story. And, I, and I'm, I'm asking myself that, actually. I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would answer this, of course, it's self-indulgent. I know that that's where I am. I know that's where I am, but I also know this. I don't fucking tweet. I'm not interested in it. I feel like, I feel like Twitter is like the thing that you use when you're trying to come up because you're like, I don't give a fuck. This is how I'm going to build my audience. And then when you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, Twitter's the thing I don't want to use because I don't want to risk what I've built up. <laughs> you know, like you're going to use it to come up. And then if you do get to come up, then you're going to, I can't fucking touch this thing anymore because then it's what's going to destroy what I've built. Um, and so, or you can get to a point where it's like, I can tweet whatever and you're kind of untouchable. Uh, so I just don't fuck with it anymore. I read it. But I don't fuck with it. But I certainly don't go, oh, I can't wait. Like, I looked forward to reading what Joe Strauss would have to say following games or big events in a monster way. I liked Brian Burwell. Like, loved Brian Burwell. He just Like, just one of the finest human beings. I mean, I admire Brian Burwell. But I disagreed so often with Brian Burwell. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean and, he, and he knew it because we would go back. We had some really good discussions uh, away from, you know, microphones on topics. But I loved the man, just disagreed with him. Uh, kind of like Doug. I obviously disagree with a lot of Doug's political views, but I mean, I, I, as we say uh, every month at least on here, Pete, Doug's like the ideal coworker. I mean, my God, he, he doesn't get any better. Um, and obviously funny as hell and passionate and informed on, you know, sports. And, you know, it kind of did a point where he doesn't give a shit either. <laughs> he says what he thinks. God bless him. So I, that's my rhetorical question. And the reason why I think that's com- is, is common, I think it's it, in part, it's kind of what's going on with political media. It's kind of going on with sports media is you want to get your likes. You want to get your bubble. You want to get your following. You don't necessarily want to say, yeah. The Cardinals are, you know, the defending National League Central champions. But let's take a look here over the last, you know, X amount of, and, you know, and, and point out this, 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 and this. Or, you know, I know it's in vogue to say that the Cardinals don't spend money, but take a look at this over the last five years and then point out that that actually is not the case, you know, because it's not good. It's not going to get likes. You know what the popular opinion is. The popular opinion on social media anyway is that the Cardinals don't spend money. So if you then write something as simple or broadcast something as simple as, well, you're wrong. The Cardinals do spend money. Here are the stats. You're going to get lit up. And so that's what I'm saying. Addicted to likes. And so Gabe in a different way because he's only covering Missouri. And so it's a different, that's a different animal than like what Strauss was doing uh, at the tail end of his life where he had become a columnist and gone from a Cardinal beat writer to a columnist. But I feel like Gabe's kind of the same thing too. Uh, he's just like, yeah, this is what I think. You're going to fucking hate me, whatever. I don't care. I mean, he's so jaded that he just doesn't fucking care. But <laughs> I like that because even though he's clearly a Missouri fan, he also he operates within a realm of, <laughs> of reality. I actually think Gabe's expectations are too low myself, but... I, it doesn't matter. He will tell you what he thinks, and I appreciate that. He's not going to tell you what will get him likes, and I think the addiction to likes is a dangerous thing, whether it be a political person or a journalist. And I'm not talking about for the journalist or the political journalist. I'm talking about for the people because that means you are going to get filtered, almost trial balloon type opinions 
as opposed to honest opinions based on fact. And that is a that is a dangerous thing, man. I think it's a real dangerous thing. Any thoughts, Gangster Pete? Uh, it just grosses me out when people pander to a specific audience. I mean, it's it seems pretty transparent most of the time. I, I enjoy really I enjoy seeking out thing like seeking out different opinions in mind, just in seeing what their argument is. I like to do that, but yeah, I, I do. Too, I do too. Like like there was a guy I don't even. Oh, I I, had, I don't know if you saw it because I know you aren't really on the fan page, but I just made an observation. It was a simple observation. Some of you listening to this may have noticed this. Some of you may have seen the thread on the fan page. Some of you might not be aware of either. But uh, starting on maybe Friday or Saturday this past week, uh, it just kind of became commonplace on both the New York Times and CNN and then on Sunday morning on Meet the Press for this sudden rush of criticism of Bernie Sanders from outlets that I think, if you were to ask the public if they are right outlets or left outlets or moderate outlets, I think the majority would give the opinion, doesn't mean that that's right, but the majority would certainly give the opinion, I think, that those are left outlets. And all of a sudden, all of them in the New York Times at this point, it's like a regular occurrence um, every day, are going, well, Bernie Sanders, you know, and then you just take shots at Bernie Sanders. I and noticed so that. You did notice it too. Yeah, my okay. friends, I got some friends that are like Trump supporters and they were they started using like New York Times articles as their evidence against Bernie. And I was like, <laughs> that's the first Whatever time you've fits ever my used agenda I will use even if it is the enemy. <laughs> right. So this has been going on here the last few days, which conveys but but the thing is it's not like they're saying Bernie Sanders is it? Bernie Sanders doesn't know how to pay. Bernie Sanders 60 minutes interview, all these things. Bernie Sanders is only speaking to his base. You can't win by only speaking to your base. Um, and although some would go, well, what did Trump do in 2016? And that you, you had people voting against Hillary Clinton, so he got votes. And you had people voting against Trump, so she got votes. Different deal uh, with, with this discussion at this moment because we're talking about a primary. So with that all said, there were all these headlines. Headlines. I want to emphasize headlines. And see, this is where I get into my media thing. Because uh, people go, well, when I looked at the article, it was this and this. And I go, I agree. But look at the headline. Because the headline frames the mindset of the reader when he or she goes into the story. It's so, from from doing what I do and, and going to school, or I went to school with Missouri journalism, it's, it's so like, it's second nature to me to know this stuff. But I realize that for, you know, the vast majority of people listening to this, that's not what they did do, and it's not, you know, what they went to school for. But the headline is so important. Like, when I'm, when I'm going to get up on a Friday morning, and I know Dan Caesar is going to write about our business, and, and I have no idea what he's going to write. I know the truth, but I have no idea what he's going to write, which is a really fucking weird spot to be in. But, I, you know, it is where I am, so it's just the way that it is. Uh I will look at the headline and I will already know how the article is going to go. Doesn't even I don't even need to read the rest of it. In fuck, I was interviewed for it. Doesn't matter. I, I read the headline and, and the headline is going to dictate what the audience, uh, how the audience reads the article. And so these headlines have been killing Bernie Sanders. But I will note in these stories that are killing Bernie Sanders, it's not like they're saying, and then therefore Pete Buttigieg, or and then therefore Amy Klobuchar, or if they're still progressive, they're going, or and then therefore Elizabeth Warren, or even and therefore Mayor Bloomberg. It's just killing Bernie Sanders. So I don't really know what the objective is, but I have noticed it. And, and somebody 
uh, then presented. Well, a lot of people are saying uh, that some of the people who are doing this, if you take a look at it, are people who want to work in uh, in in the White House, uh, and they would only get jobs if Biden, Klobuchar, Buttigieg won. And I said, "Wow, I hadn't heard that theory. The who who's who is that? Can you give me some names?" Because I was legitimately curious. I hadn't heard that theory introduced. And uh, the person said, well, like James Carville on MSNBC was doing this. And that was the only name that he listed. I'm not picking on this guy, by the way. Uh, and, I, and I said, okay, well, Carville's 75 and he hasn't worked in Washington, you know, full time in a long time. You know, who, who else? Because this is really something, you know, of note. And so I'm interested in other theories, but then I'm going to ask follow-ups. But sometimes people take a follow-up and go, what, do you want to fuck with me? And it's, no, I'm just, I just want to, I just want to, I want you're, you're presenting something I hadn't heard or thought of, and I'm interested in, maybe I will go down this, uh, this road and maybe it will help explain some things. But I don't think columnists for the New York Times or headline writers for CNN or Chuck Todd of NBC are looking for a place in the Biden administration. Um... So that's 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 why I kind of dismiss that, and I don't necessarily think Carvel at 75 years old is looking for that uh, that either. All right, uh, let me make sure I let our audience know about Mark Hanna of the Evergreen Wealth Strategies firm right here in St. Louis online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's a good guy, and as people get ready for tax season, or you might have already taken care of it, Make sure you're doing business with somebody you trust, and I can tell you this. You can trust Mark Hanna. He helps everyday people every day. He is online at evergreenstl.com. He is our guest sponsor on the Tim McKernan Show every week. Our guest this week, by the way, Paul Goldschmidt coming up, Harrison Bader coming up, Tommy Edmond last week, Jack Flaherty. So we do these long-form Cardinal interviews here at Spring Training. Mark Hanna is his name, and he is online at evergreenstl.com. Or if you would like to give him a call, and it's a call that will make you feel better once you've made it, I promise you that, 314-889-0503, 314-889-0503. Or go online at evergreenstl.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800. Or go online at carltoninsurance.net. Uh, James Carlton is always looking out for his clients. He sent me an email yesterday about a client who was having some issue with water in his basement, just like what I had last year where James rose to the occasion, uh, just, I mean, in superhuman form. Uh, and, and he said, hey, this, you know, I know you had problems last year, obviously. Who is, who is the person who eventually fixed it? And I said, ah, here, I mean, here, he's an insurance agent, but he's going out of his way to do this. This I'm just telling you, man, if I could buy stock in somebody, I would buy stock in James Carlton because he's a young guy who has a growing business whose people are experiencing what I've experienced. And there is a difference. And I will say this. I think a lot of people just use the same person because they're like a friend or a friend of the family with their insurance. And then the time comes when they actually need it and they go, oh, shit, this is awkward because now my uncle is clearly not really good at this and I'm, and I'm in a bad spot. James Carlton is a professional. I didn't know James Carlton before he started advertising on this thing, and I was so impressed I switched to him. 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. All right, let me go into another one here. Um, a few comments on your media headline threads. This is what we were just talking about, Gangster Pete. Got me interested. 
what the hell are teachers instilling in kids at J school <laughs> in terms of recognizing bias? It's a good question. And, yeah, I really do. So I actually, I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years removed from it, but I mean, uh, in, 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 in terms of recognizing bias and how news is reported, do you see the current problems with journalism as a repercussion of how our future journalists are instructed at universities, or is it symptomatic of chasing after more clicks, reads, viewers? Um, Gangster Pete, I will I will go to you with this first. I'm going to try to formulate an opinion on it. I mean, I don't know what they're teaching. Uh, that's a very good question. But I, I mean, I took newspaper class in high school, and I took some journalism classes at Mizzou, and your opinions never came into it. You were just kind of reporting the facts, you know? So it's obviously changed because that's not what you see now. So I don't know what they're teaching, but it's not good <laughs> in my I'll opinion. I'll tell you this. It, like it, like to me, it's so obvious that certain elements of media, because I don't think media is a dying business at all. As no. a matter of fact, hell, I mean, it's no secret I'm a buyer. Uh, I don't think media is a dying business at all. Certain elements of media are absolutely dying, or even dead, or they're on the operating table. I mean, it's and if you don't see that, it's you know. So I would be really curious if I were to go to Columbia, Missouri, um, or Evanston, Illinois, or Syracuse, and speak with people at Missouri Journalism School or Medill at Northwestern, or Newhouse in Syracuse, you know, all these acclaimed journalism schools, and ask them why in 2020 are you pursuing this major? And I honestly don't know what their answer would be. I will say this, and this is something I noticed and it bothered me at the time. I felt like, and this isn't all by any means at all. At all. It's not even the majority. But it, whereas like Gabe was in, he was in my class in the broadcast sequence at Missouri, Gabe DeArmond, uh, was there because he was a huge, he was a big Missouri fan. His dad was the Kansas City Star Missouri beat writer for a number of years. And also big Chiefs and Royals fan. He was a fan. And I was there because I was a huge Cardinal fan in particular. And I, mistakenly thought that I was somehow going to learn play-by-play by going to Missouri Journalism School, which now 24 years removed from entering the journalism school is like just so stupid. I'm ashamed of it, but that's what I really thought. Because um, really, like looking back on it, I should have gone to Lindenwood if that's really what I wanted to do. I'm kind of glad I didn't do that, but just because I think it's, a, you know, that's, that's also, that's another lottery ticket business. But um, I felt like there were people doing it who weren't doing it because they had a love for anything, but because they wanted to be on TV. And I couldn't have cared any less about being on TV. I had zero, zero interest. I didn't even know that. Like I said, I thought I was going to go learn how to do radio play-by-play for Cardinal games. You know, I mean, like a, like a three-year-old. Uh, but I, I felt like there were people who, who, who just craved, um, I don't know if I want to t- say attention, but the spotlight. And so, well, they weren't good sing, good enough singers to be musicians, uh, good enough actors to be actors or actresses, uh, good enough athletes to play professional sports. And so, like, the last stop on the ticket out of fame is broadcast journalism. <laughs> and so, well, a lot of people who aren't necessarily the sharpest can read off a teleprompter and so this will get me attention. I could be wrong on this, but I know that in the 1990s, I remember thinking that. 
and thinking these are these people aren't necessarily educated on the issues, but they they're attractive, and they can read off the teleprompter with the proper inflection that I usually give your links, Pete, when you send something over like what's a top mean in a lesbian relationship. And that, that kind of inflection, that newsy inflection, they could do that, and then all of a sudden they're getting hired. And then what happens now, which, once again, speaking of things that I think are incredibly dangerous in media, they then ascend to a position where they are working as an opinion shaper. They're no longer in your Walter Cronkite mode. They're hosting shows on cable news where they're, like, snarky about the other side as if they have any fucking clue themselves. They just happen to be attractive and can read off the prompter well. I mean, that's really kind of where we're going. And I'm like, shit, now these people are actually like not only the gatekeepers of information, which isn't that bad if they're just reading it, but now they're also the gatekeepers and shapers of opinions. And this is like, you know, somebody who is, you know, just good at reading off the prompter. That's 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 really dangerous. That's a dangerous thing, and I see it. I, I mean, really, think about it. Anybody can play this game here. Who do you watch on cable news? Is he or she attractive? I'm not talking about, okay, like I'm not trying to get like a homophobe worked up here. Like what you're saying, do I want to bang Brian Williams? No, that's not what I'm, I'm saying. But you would acknowledge that Brian Williams makes a nice presence. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's part of the game. It's a real thing. But there are a number of people, I think we would agree, who probably have a better grasp of take your pick of whatever topic that impacts voters who are never going to be able to be in that position because they don't have the same appearance. I think that's kind of fucked up. I thought it then. And I really think it now. Now because I think it's impacting the way that policy is being enacted and who gets who gets elected. But that's part of the game. So with regard to what's going on right now, it would be disingenuous for me to tell you that I know what's going on right now. I guess I can speak to a limited sense in talking to some of the people who I've either interviewed to hire or have hired that they are being told to do everything. And by that, I mean multimedia journalism. That's what it's being called. And you do everything. But I still don't believe that the most important lesson is being taught, which is the business element of the business. And that your value, just like any other business, your value is directly correlated with the revenue that you are responsible for bringing in. And if you aren't directly responsible for revenue, you are replaceable. You might not like it. It might not fit what, that you were told you were special for the first 20 some odd years of your life. But that's reality. And it might be harsh, but it is reality. And I remember after a few years of, um, of, I guess, being successful in television and getting these like these 2% raises and going, yeah, but I won this, you know, I won this Emmy and I won this Murrow Award. And it's kind of like, yeah, this is all we can do. And the GM's kind of looking at me like, well, what are you going to do about it? It hit me. It's like, I'm a effect doesn't matter. Like my friends like watching me on TV and I've won awards. It doesn't matter. I'm replaceable. And even though they're quote unquote only going to save Ten or fifteen thousand dollars by me leaving and them hiring somebody else, still ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and then you suddenly start to understand it. You're replaceable. So what do you got to do? You got to make sure that you either have an audience, or if you do have the audience, that audience supports the sponsors, which I always talk about on the radio and on the podcast. That's the game. 
or you have an audience big enough that it doesn't really matter and there's so many people listening and and or watching that they're going to um by default you know by osmosis they're going to be following the advertisers and and, and buying from those advertisers uh, and that's where television ratings and radio ratings come into play but uh you know in in the radio ratings thing that's a that's that's a whole different conversation but that's that's the reality, and that's not talked about. That wasn't talked about in Columbia anyway. I don't know about Northwestern. I don't know about Syracuse. I don't know about other communication schools. But I just would ask what you're doing getting into it. Because not only does it not pay well in most cases, it absolutely pays incredibly well for like, shit, I don't know, I'd say less than 1%. Uh, and I guess incredibly well is certainly relative. But, uh, you know, I mean, you, you obviously have people making you know what, eight figures doing it at one end, and then you have somebody probably making, I don't even know, maybe $12,000 in TV market as an anchor, which might sound like impossible to somebody, but that's, that's really it. Um, and then also now, the thing that's different in 2020, as opposed to 1998, 1999, when I was coming out, is the media is actually considered the enemy by a, a number of people, more so than, than what it was 21 years ago. So you are actively going into an industry that does not pay well and that is that is not popular with the public. So yeah, I'd be really curious what the fuck you're thinking, number one. And then number two, as far as what they're teaching, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it, if it gets poisoned once people go to places or if it gets poisoned at the incubators, at the institutions. I, I, I don't know. I kind of think it's it, it the foundation is laid in it, the it's institutions and then then it's further manipulated by the the news outlets which are not you know charities they're 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 running for profit businesses so um they're going to give you what you want in order to get the ratings that's the game so uh i just i for the life of me i don't know why somebody would would go into it and i, I say that not from a like snarky's I mean, I really mean it, but that doesn't mean you can't wind up having success and in, in, in really enjoying it. But it's a, it's a much different ball game now than it was uh, even 20 years ago. All right, I want to make sure I go into some email ones because I have not done that uh, yet. Well, let's see what we got. This is Timmy recaps. I don't know if this is um, I haven't read it yet, but he always has good questions. Hey, Tim, I just caught the tail end of your answer for questions from the audience I submitted last week. I actually deleted the comment an hour or so after the post went up because I figured it might be a difficult question to answer. What do you believe is the best extension of your talent? Although it wasn't meant to rile you up or get you to sound like a smug asshole by answering. Uh, so I hope you realize that was not my intent. I assure you I wouldn't contribute to the fan page TMA text or questions from the audience in hopes of taking you down a peg or two. I didn't take the I didn't take the for the record I didn't take the question that way. I just said by answering it I'm going to come off as a smug asshole. Uh, but I think I come off as a smug asshole anyway. I did take particular notice of a comment you made toward the end about an interviewer being at the mercy of an interviewee and needing to frame not so softball questions in a manner that doesn't make the guests feel like they're being painted into a corner. In the same respect, I recently commented on your media and politics post about Jon Stewart being a wizard when it came to this skill, being able to ask a tough question or make a stern argument, which you may already know the answer to, but doing so in a manner which doesn't completely shut the interview down in terms of mutual respect and professionalism. 
If you find time to view the comment in the video I linked on your post, I think you'll really enjoy it. It is John Stewart on CNN's Crossfire 15 or so years ago tackling the media and their coverage of politics, but doing so with enough tact so as to not be a complete dick and shut down the segment. Thanks and sorry for the resubmission a few weeks ago about why someone might want to invest heavily in traditional media. Again, and I initially submitted that question before anything was out regarding your interest in potential ownership, so there wasn't malintent behind the email. I thought I had heard you say you weren't able to come to agreeable terms in the potential ownership with an investment group on the station, so I resubmitted thinking it might be a good topic for you to jive on, but uh, with complete understanding of why it might not be answered for the time being, all the best that comes from Terry Recaps. Uh, yes, yeah, so Gangster Pete, I know you're just editing these things oftentimes. That was a quick question he, I, uh, he submitted last week. Um, and, I, and I said this, and now you've been part of the radio show for, what, 18 months, I think, would be about right? Uh, yeah. If I'm not, uh, not mistaken. That I actually think, and I'm saying this sincerely, like I think a lot of times you'll see people go, oh, my God, the show would be dead if Iggy left, or oh, my God, the show would be dead if Doug left. And I actually think n- neither is true. And I also would say this, the show would not be dead if I left. So, and I'm sure some people go, oh, that's fucking wrong. Take your pick of whichever person I, I listed in, in there. Um, you know, anybody, it doesn't matter. Because the show is not one person. And I've always said that. And so even if people are intending to pay me a compliment with saying the show would be dead if you left, um, I said last week, because the question was, is it the interviews you do with your family or family member, with people's family members? Uh, is it interviews in general for the podcast? Was it television? Is it hosting TMA? What is the best extension of your talent? Which I said, well, it's an awkward conversation just because it's, a- it's asking me to talk about what is the best thing about me. I mean, it's a fucking weird thing. But I, I, but I got what the question was, and I just kind of mocked how weird it was for me to have. <laughs> to actually, like, really delve into it, but my, but I'll, but I'll say this regarding TMA. If one person leaves, inevitably, what happens? Because I've seen this happen now. I mean, the show's approaching 16 years. What ha- happens almost every time, without fail? I guess there might be one or two exceptions. Maybe I'm not even sure. People go, oh fuck, show's over. Never be the same. This sucks. And then for like a couple weeks, I'll be like, sure do miss so-and-so. And then it's like, and then like, you know, a few months go by and it's like, it's, oh yeah, that person. I forgot about him, you know? And that's that's what I would say. I mean, the most dramatic one certainly would be Martin Kilcoin in 2006. Um, I felt like but, that when Martin left as a listener. Like and I, I don't when blame he left, you. I was like, "Oh man, that's that's, that's it. it." Yeah, and I don't and I don't blame you. And, and I th- and the cat, I think if the cat were sitting here with me and you right now, Pete, he would say the exact same thing. Right. And I actually remember like taking offense to that. Uh, and I, well, when that I would say make take, sense for you to take offense to it. Yeah, but but I mean, but but but, but let me make let me make clear why. Because you're probably thinking because well, you're the host, but I wasn't the host. I was the, I was this fucking banty rooster that was like the number two or three guy on the show i wasn't the host but i felt like he did and i, and I always thought and, I, and i'll say it now i and i say and it's and again anytime i say it it's not intended to be a shot or a, a compliment it's just what i think martin's the most talented person i've worked with but that doesn't mean like oh that oh what do you think the cat's not talented or doug's not talented or you know producer joe or seymour or pete or whoever I just, I just, again, because Martin will say whatever the fuck. He's so quick. He can bust into impressions. 
I mean, he, he will hit you with shit and you don't see it coming. And that, for me, and I think it's well laid out. I think he sees both sides. That's my reasoning. But, you know, I mean, the, the show is certainly incredibly more popular now than it was then, but it's also been on longer, so it's had a chance to bring on more audience members. So that's not a shot at Martin or a big compliment to Doug. It's just time. Um, but I don't blame people for in that moment thinking it was over. But in my opinion, it's the style that makes it work. And I'm not talking about, like, my style or the cat style or at the time producer Joe's style. And I think Stedman was the board operator, and that guy was a fucking – that guy was – that guy is something else. Uh, his, his ability – with the drops because he would he would hit them before I even knew I was going to say something he would hit it and it was kind of weird actually but it was brilliant uh that that I knew that it was a three-man offense and by that I mean three hosts but the producers had to be involved and the board ops had to be involved and I'm like yeah I mean Martin's sick talented but I was like either Doug Vaughn or Chris Pelican is going to come in and we're going to be fine and I and maybe maybe you know 14 years removed from that that's that might have been crazy, um, but I mean, you know, I guess I guess it's safe to say I was right. I'm not bringing this up to say I was right. I'm bringing this up to say, whenever, whoever leaves, because I'm sure some people are like, well, if Doug leaves, the show will be over. I'm like, okay, we'll see. Or if I were the one to leave, people go, oh, the show's over. I'll go, nah, we'll see, because if I go and do my own thing, and you put Jay in running point. I think the show continues on and is just fine. And maybe some people like it more for the exact same thing we talked about earlier on in the show, that I'm the least popular of the six. Um, so I really, do, I really do believe that. I really do believe that. Now, if both me and Doug left, that might be a different animal. But if you have the, you know, if you have... One person leave. I think the show goes on. I really, I mean, hell, me and the cat are the only two people who were around at the very beginning, you know. And and how many times have me and the cat heard? Oh my God! Well, the show could never survive without it. It's like, like listen, like Eggy is like instant offense at this moment. But the show existed for like 13 years before he was around on a regular basis, you know, and was doing quite well. So it's it's and and just like oh my God, you know, Tim, our fearless leader. I'm like. You know, if Jay's in there along with Doug and the cat, it's fine. You know, it it, it you don't even th- you don't even think about me not being there. It's just a it's a different style of show. Um, and I know because I see because I see the responses. I know what's going on. I you know I, I kind of see behind the curtain. So I don't know. I feel I feel very strongly about that. I suppose Pete, if you didn't feel that way, it would be awkward for you to say otherwise. So I don't necessarily because I realize I'm kind of in a different spot. Talking well, that, about that it, was Pete. my point of bringing up the thing. I thought the show would be never be the same after Martin left, and I, and I ended up loving it in its different iterations. So I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I, again, it, like if a couple people left, but I mean, I've. I, I said this before. I mean, there was, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a weird spot because there's so much that the public doesn't know and then would probably just, like, drop dead if they knew all the stuff. And, Pete, you know a lot of it, so, you know, you know that that's true. Um, but I've always kind of, I've just been like, okay, this, yeah, these, the, the, this, is, this is the group. Don't mess with the group. Just, it, it, it is, it, and it might drive, whether it be whomever, up the wall. It's, sometimes <laughs> it's, it's other hosts but it is a situation where you just roll the ball out. And I know it can, you know, it, it may frustrate people, but 
that's what makes it not only unique, but I think that's what puts us in the best position to put on the best show. Because if you, if you, and you would, Pete, if I asked you to do this, or if management asked you to do this, you would do it. There's no doubt in my mind. You're the fucking greatest soldier of all time. If somebody said, Pete, going forward, we're going to do a segment from 7.03 to 7, what would it be if we're doing these people meters? <laughs> 7.14. And then we're going to break. And then you got to write a tease. And then at 7.19 to 7.32, you're going to do another segment. And then at 7.39 to 7.53 or whatever, whatever it is. And then you're going to tease what's coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. You would do it. And I would also tell you this. It would destroy the show. Absolutely. That would destroy the show. Absolutely. That would destroy the show. The show's success is because people tune in and they don't know what the fuck they're going to hear. Improv. But I'll let you in on a secret. The people talking don't know what the fuck we're going to say. So we have no, and that's, that's the thing that makes it endearing because it is authentic because it's organic. I would hate it if our show, if the six of us had to all of a sudden change what we do. Now, if I go and start doing something different uh, on my own, it would, have, it would have to be different. It's kind of like this podcast. It's obviously a, you'd hear differently a different me, I suppose, on the podcast than you do with TMA in, a, in kind of a different, more expanded role. Uh, it's like now, it's, I, we do questions with the audience. I get more questions about politics than I do about sports, you know? Um, you know, and I guess that's kind of the way that, 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 that it's going, which is totally fine with me. I think I'm probably more interested in that. Um, but, but as far as the show, I listen, I, it's a, it's a great compliment if somebody says, Tim, your show, but I'm like, you're wrong because it's not because if you strip away the group, that show, I don't want you calling it my show because that show is going to fucking suck and I don't want to be attached to it. It's the group. We kind of got a little taste of that in 2007. Were you a listener in 2007, Gangster? Yeah, that was, that was Not tough. many people were. That was tough. Yeah. That was brutal. That was a bad, bad spot. And, that, and that's why going forward for my next contract, I said I've got to have, and I did at 1380, um, control of who my co-hosts would be and my producer would be. Have to have it. And that we always have three hosts because that's the offense. And it's, you know, for a lot of management or ownership people, they're like, why the fuck are we giving this much power to a talent? And I understand that. But at this point, it's like, okay, it works. And and, and, it, and, and by the way, it continues to grow. You know, they're new 20-somethings and even teens come to the party. Uh, so it's not like this thing where you're going, oh, yeah, I mean, it's there and it works, but, you know, it's this you know, audience that it's not going to expand. Ours continues to grow. But I really do. It has to be the right person. I don't think you can put, just like if, let's say, it were Doug to leave, you know, it has to either be Jay or Charlie. At this moment, that doesn't mean somebody else wouldn't emerge, but it has to be somebody who can run the offense, you know, uh, who knows the offense and who can run the offense. But, you know, I, I really do believe that. And I would care about it. I mean, I, I would care about it. If I did go and, and do something else, um, it would be incredibly important to me because when it does get down to it, I mean, this is, this is something that we created in 2004 and I don't want to see, like if I were to leave, I don't want to see, you know, the, you know, you and Iggy and Plowhawk and the cat and Doug, you know, not have this show, you know, I don't, that, that's, that's not what I want. I mean, I really do believe if Jay came in and I'm not saying, I don't even know if Jay would want to do it uh, or Charlie came in and ran point i think people be like oh yeah i remember tim but it's nice to not have the porn stuff you know or whatever i don't know (laughs) 
Um, so I really do feel that way. The interview thing I do think is unique. The difference on that is I don't know what the fuck to say. I, I have no idea how it works. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I can't go, yeah, well, this is how you do an interview. I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea why. Have you heard the Harrison Bader interview yet, by the way, Gangster Pete? I don't know if I've even sent it to you. You haven't sent it to me yet. Okay. I mean, for whatever reason, (laughs) and I was going to send it this week instead of Goldschmidt, but I'm like, oh, Goldschmidt's a headliner. But I kind of sensed bantiness with the audience. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get the audience even bantier. And I'm just like, I'm going I'm to play the climate and going, okay, if I pour this on, because I just feel like there's some in the audience who are like really banty about shit right now. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pour this on. But for whatever reason, Bader, who he walks out of the clubhouse, and I'm, I've been standing there for a while, and I'm sitting there with Mike Claiborne, who is as entertaining as it gets at these uh, spring training uh, <laughs> media gatherings. I mean, holy shit. And it's just me and Claiborne. It's like 3 o'clock, and they'd cl- closed the clubhouse, and one of the media relations person people came out and said, hey, uh, Tim, who are you waiting for? And I go, well, anybody at that table. And at that table was DeYoung, uh, Lane Thomas, and Bader. And I go, but it's just kind of an unspoken rule when they're sitting there and eating. You don't go up to them and bother them. You know, I mean, I've been around this for two decades. I know the, the, the table is off limits when they're eating. And I go, yeah, we got to close it. Uh, sorry. And I go, no problem. So I'm, I'm at the mercy of Bader. I haven't talked to him. Usually you kind of set it up. And Claiborne goes, ah, he's a good guy. I'll ask him. You know, I said, well, that's not your job. But he walks out. And I go, hey, you know, it's such a weird spot. I'm a 43-year-old man, and I'm, like, groveling for this 24-year-old. That, you know, but whatever. It's the game. you got to play the game. And I said, hey, Harrison, you got a minute to do. And he goes, how long? And I go, and it's just, like I said, it's just so fucking. But it is what it is. I'm used to it. I go, I don't know, 15 minutes, and Claiborne goes, he asks good questions. You'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he comes over, and then, I, you know, at first, he's, like, I extend my hand. I go, hey, I'm Tim. I know you don't fucking care, but just, you know, I feel like I should as a gentleman introduce myself before I start asking you a bunch of questions about your 205 average, you know. <laughs> and for whatever reason, you know, by the end of it, he's, he's saying shit that I know is going to get a response, which wasn't my goal. I'm just like, he's being, he's comfortable. And I don't know, I don't know what it is. That leads to that. I really have no clue, but I recognize that ability is unique. Hosting TMA, I don't believe, is unique. That's my point on this. I believe other people, Jay, Charlie, could come in and run point, and the show would continue on for however many years everybody wants to do it. But the ability to get people who normally don't necessarily talk to talk I don't know what's going on there. I just know that there seems to be an ability, but I don't know how to. I don't know how to explain it either. And I and since you can't explain it, it's a tough thing to really like market and monetize unless somebody who is in a position to pay you for it, or you can monetize it yourself. Goes, hey, he can do an interview. Let's hire him and let him do interviews, and we'll pay him a bunch of money to do interviews. It's just a weird deal. But with TMA, so if you're asking, you know, which which talent. I'd say the TMA thing, I'm, you know, I think I'm replaceable. So, you know, uh, that, 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 that's why I think the thing can continue. Uh, but but uh, the interview thing, I think, is unique. I don't know if necessarily anybody can come in and do the interviews. But again, it sounds so fucking self-indulgent to say, yes, I'm so good at this, this, and this. Let me tell you what I'm the best at <laughs> and spend time on it. So it was a it was an odd question, but that's uh, that that's the uh, the background on it, and I appreciate him expounding on it. And I and I would agree since he brings up John Stewart, I think I've seen this clip before. I feel like Tucker Carlson was on it, and I can't remember who else, where he just kind of scolds them both for like jerking people off. Um, 
I don't have to watch it again. But now that I think about it, Stewart did have a way of asking hard questions, but he would do it in a disarming way that the person would answer, even though they may have just gotten skewered in the process of the of the question. Were you a John Stewart fan? Are you yeah, a John Stewart? He cracks fan? me up. Yeah, I mean, he's that's a that's a great real example. smart. Yeah, probably yes. too smart for some of the people to realize they just got skewered. Yeah, you're right. He's missed, man. I don't know what he's going to – I th- thought I heard somebody on Stern like a month ago saying he's working on some new thing, but I don't know. No. All right, uh, I'll go one more. And I, this is always risky if I'm just going to um, – all right, I don't think I've done much in the email, and I feel like there were some good ones in the email. And then, Gangster Pete, you will be released from this. Uh, okay, this one came in this morning. Tim, hope things are well. I am a transplant from California by way of Arizona, college and grad school. I moved to St. Louis 20 years ago because I married a St. Louis girl. I never could reconcile the region and the obsession with private Catholic high school. I have two daughters that ended up in a private high school, and the total cost is nearly as much as the cost for their college education. The increase in tuition over the last 10 years in some of these schools has exceeded 100%, and I assume declining enrollment is the largest factor in the increase in cost. Enrollment decline can probably be attributed to declining household size and stagnant-slash-flat economic growth in the region. Well, this is a damn good email here. Uh, Additionally, it seems that a material proportion of some kids' tuition is subsidized by a previous generation in their family, which leads to apathy of cost and dramatic cost increase. Am I off base? Do you think we are at a breaking point with these schools? Is there consolidation in the future? Probably shouldn't read my name. My subsidy comment would definitely ruffle feathers. Thanks. I love this segment, by the way, and I will not read the name. Uh, that's a, that was that was that was damn good, uh, Gangster Pete. We are both uh, products of private Catholic high schools. You desmet me, St. Louis. You high. Your de- thoughts de- on the query? Desmet. Uh, yeah, I think they're definitely going to reach a breaking point. I think his point of consolidation. I think that's certainly coming. I am. I, I. I. view it. It's like. It's like the Big Short with uh, who's a Christian Bale who participated in the Big Short, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, if I could short private uh, Catholic high schools in St. Louis, not necessarily for a two-year payoff, but for I go seven years, uh, I would be all over it, all over it, all over it, and some of it is for the reasons that uh, this gentleman gave in the question. You have smaller families. Um, and th- something that he didn't mention, uh, two things that he didn't mention that I think are relevant to the discussion and the reason for my short, uh, the decline in importance of uh, religion for many relative to even 25 years ago, and the increase in the quality of many of the public school districts in the area. And I think that contributes to it. And, and a lot of he, parishes are closing, like, their feeder schools, too. Yeah, so yeah, so, so people don't, don't, you know, so, I mean, for our, it's a, it's a weird thing, because we're in this spot, we're still way, you know, from the high school thing, we still have a long time, but, like, the grade school thing. Like, I really believe, and I might be wrong, it's certainly I couldn't fucking care because I do think and I think something that he didn't mention is the status thing, which is a weird thing. And I kind of I could actually like rattle off some of the schools, I think, that would fa- fall into that category of like, oh, I got to send my kid to a private school. Otherwise, my neighbors or family members will think less of me. That kind of thing. Um, people are welcome to guess which ones I'm 
firing bullets at, I suppose, <laughs> uh, but I will not name the names. Uh, but that type of stuff, um, I really do believe that without St. Louis U High, I wouldn't have been able to do some of the things that I've been able to do. I really believe that. Missouri was like a two-foot putt, you know, after going to St. Louis U High. And I didn't think St. Louis U High was incredibly difficult. It's just I didn't think Missouri was tough at all. Now, I wasn't a, you know, a journalism major, so it's not like I was in, you know, something like medicine or whatever. But, uh, you know, I just, it's just, it's a, it was, I assume it's still, my brother teaches there, so I want to make it clear, I uh, have a conflict of interest here. But it's just, it's, and it wasn't just about the academics. Um, it was the manner with which you were taught to carry yourself that I think stood out. And that is actually more important to me with my son than the academics. Uh, for real, that's what I think of. And I think of like our, our decision on whether or not to send him to a Catholic grade school or, you know, these great public schools in Kirkwood. And I think about th- what I just said, the manner with which... Uh, and then involvement of parents in the Catholic grade schools uh, at a higher percentage. And I think that's a positive. But the other side of it, uh, first off, my wife is Lutheran. I guess Jameson's Lutheran. I don't know. He's baptized at a Lutheran church, so I guess that's the deal. I don't know how this works. Obviously, it's not really high on my uh, importance level. Um, But uh, I'm Catholic. You know, I mean whatever it's the way I was raised and I went to Catholic grade school and high school Jesuit St. Louis U high education it's important to us to not like get into this this religion but but I think both my wife and I value the teachings of many religions what I think turns us off and I can't speak to Anna Marie and I won't speak for Anna Marie what I can say is what turns me off is the hijacking of religious teachings to, like, make them fit into something that benefits a group of people economically or discriminates against a group of people who the people in power aren't real comfortable with. That's what I fucking hate. Or then I get a chance to know some of these people who make make you well aware that they're super religious and, and then they wind up being some of the worst fucking human beings you've ever met. And I go, well, you're not a real good advertising campaign for take your pick of whatever faith they are. Uh, and I don't want my son around that shit. Don't want it. Don't want it. So when we have this discussion and I say, yeah, you know, the thing is about the religion that you would learn in a Catholic grade school, at least what I recall. Where'd you go, Pete, by the way, your Catholic grade school? Did you go to Catholic grade school? Yeah, I went to uh, the Academy of the Sacred Heart. Oh, really? St. Chuck. Um, was the way that religion was taught, especially, I mean, you're talking about what, up to 13 years old, 14 years old maybe, it wasn't, it was almost like a memory class. It wasn't, it, for me it was anyway. You're memorizing the catechism and you're just, you're absorbing dogma, but it's not like, well, here's the reason why. It was, here it is. Don't ask questions. And here are, you know, two paragraphs to memorize and your grade in religion class will not be determined by whether or not you could reason out this this biblical story. It will be by your ability to regurgitate these passages from the catechism. Now, that's, that was my religion experience or singing songs and shit. 
that's that was my religion experience at St. Gabriel's. Now, again, we're going to 1990. Was yours similar to that? What was yours like? Oh, yeah, same thing, same deal. Okay. So I don't know if that's the same thing now. So so my point now, my wife went to, um, you know, public schools. And, you know, as I said, she's Lutheran. And so she's like, well, I don't want him being taught all of that. And I go, I don't, I don't either. But what I'm saying is it's more memory stuff. You know, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't think. And I, 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 what I would tell you, so I'm not saying I don't want him being taught any religion. I want him being taught as much religion as possible, but not just one religion. That's where I am. Because I do think there's, I mean, the thing that I attempt to live by, albeit as unpleasant as I am, is to try to treat others how you want to be treated, which is actually the golden rule of the New Testament. Now, again, it gets hijacked and, you know, or is just like, well, that's kind of like, that's convenient Catholicism or Christianity, actually. Uh, you know, you got to also live by this and this and this and this. You can't just handpick. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, guess I won't be eating certain shellfish either then. I mean, it's, what are we going to do here? Which ones are we going to count and what are we not going to count? And what's it going to work for us and what's not going to work for us? So I feel like, I don't know. It's like, listen, neither one is, 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 is a perfect choice. But I feel like proportionately, I am at the point where I would actually send, if, if I had to make the decision today, I would send my son to a Catholic grade school. Um, and that's based on how much I valued, um, the Catholic high school experience, but it had nothing to do with it being like, you know, whatever respected that I went to St. Louis U high. I didn't think anything of it, but now with the benefit of looking back on, I'm like, I look at the guys who are in my class at St. Louis U high and what they're doing with their lives. And, you know, a hell of a lot of them are doing really well and the colleges that they went to I mean holy shit so I do think there's value but I mean then then at the same time you know my son is again I guess a Lutheran he'd be like in the spot when everybody's doing their first confessions and first communion he's like the awkward kid sitting there you know I guess I think I think that's how it'd work (laughs) you know so I don't know if I want to put him through that so it's a weird spot um Gangster Pete, I I know you don't have any children. Do you have any thoughts on this? I see the pros and cons of both sides. Uh, I I mean I wouldn't want my child to be taught one specific religion either. But at the same time, I think there is a lot of positive out of like kind of the structure. And then also, I think there's a lot of positives about going to public school where you're exposed to a lot more things. I think that's yeah, good too. I, I big time agree with that. So big, big, well, people, I would actually people, yeah, I mean, which is probably what you were saying oh definitely yeah i mean that yeah i mean now i mean it, it, it you know i mean my 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 environment for all of my grade school were 100 percent white catholics who lived like in the 63109 zip code you know i mean with with a handful of exceptions here and there depending on what side of hampton they're on and what side of jameson they're on i'm talking about my son i'm talking about the street and that's that's that you know that was it and then you're going to high school with certainly some kids who come from a wealthy background um but 95 plus percent i would say were catholic and it's all boys you know um so yeah i do think there's but i think as long as the message and the message was this be i guess you got to be you know responsive to the message is, yeah, we're no better than anybody else, you know, and I want to drive that into my son's head over and over. I keep saying this, just a guy. Inside this house, he is everything to me. But outside, when he, once he steps out the door, you are just a guy. 
So if you think you're the fucking greatest thing in the world, to me you are. But once you walk out the door, you're just a guy. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's important to convey that and be responsive. And I don't give a damn what somebody's situation is. You treat that person with respect. I don't fucking care what's going on. You treat that person. Now they start treating on you, then the game changes. <laughs> you treat that person res- with respect. Um, so I, that, that, that's, that's my mindset on it. But it, I'm telling you, it's, it's a question that hits home because it's actually a discussion my wife uh, and, and me have uh, probably once every couple of weeks on what we're going to do on it. And, um, and I know a friend of mine who went to St. Louis U High, somebody I, I, I couldn't hold in higher esteem. And he was going to send uh, his uh, son there, and they took a tour of it. And he's just like, you don't realize it until you're, you know, coming back. But there is just a lot of religion there. And, and on, I'm sure some people are going, well, of course, it's a Catholic school. But I don't think for, for a lot of us we viewed it that way. We just It was a good school, and it was a great experience. And, oh, yeah, we had to go to church like once a week. And, you know, and we were taught by some Jesuits, but not many. Shit, like, God, I don't know if I was taught by more than five Jesuits the entire time I was there. Um, we just thought it was a good school and we have great memories of it, but then it's like you go back and like, okay, there's a lot of religion. Well, for so many people now, not so many, but for a lot of people, um, they don't want religion involved in their children's upbringing. I would be one of those people. But it's not that it's it's a devaluation of, of religion. I think people see like, like they'll see like the, like the political religion, you know, this like Americanism of Christianity. I don't want any, anything to do with that. I, I want nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it, and I don't want anything for my son to do with it. Um, I, I, I would welcome him to learn about it, but I think it is, I think it is not healthy. And, um, but, I mean, hey, if he decides that's what's for him, I don't think he would, but if he decides that's for him, God bless him. But I don't think that's the way it's going to go. But as far as the, whether or not these schools will be around, shorten it all day long. Shorten it all day long. Um, and yes, I think what you spoke to that you thought might upset some people with uh, previous generations, um, you know, essentially subsidizing these tuitions and people not appreciating it. I mean, I can speak to mine, but when I was at St. Louis High, it was like $2,900. I mean, it's, you know, what, how many, what, 500 times, 500x, 500% of uh, that now. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have an appreciation. I remember getting accepted and my mom being so happy and proud of me. And I'm just like, <laughs> why it's I'm going like I'm like this sucks I'm gonna miss all my friends from my neighborhood they're not going there and this sucks you know <laughs> you know and I didn't even realize what was in store for me as far as athletics that I was gonna never play anything again uh <laughs> so um I I don't know but I mean now on the other side of it I have a great appreciation for it but as far as the cost holy shit it's, I mean, it's insane. I don't know how people do it. I'm, I'm looking at it with one child, and maybe we'll have another child. Maybe we won't. I have no idea. We certainly would like to, uh, but it might not happen. We didn't think we were going to be able to have one. But, but I don't know how people with, like, three kids are doing it. I really don't. I'm saying that not from a <laughs> – I, I have no idea how you do this. Because, you know, I mean – I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if people are making a lot more money than I'm aware of. <laughs> I don't think that's what's going on, or if people are just like Doug says. Because you know, isn't it funny, kind of gangster Pete, when Doug starts talking about money? Because we kind of you know have an idea. Right. 
And this goes back to when we were at KMOV. I remember one of the producers going, <laughs> like, Doug thinks everybody in you know has this immediate <laughs> income that it just isn't the way that it works, and he talks about it. But I know he's not doing it from a bad place. Right. He's doing it from a sincere place. But he did pay for three kids to go through high school, one of which went to St. Louis U High, and then he paid for three kids to uh, – to go to college, so it's a different. And you know, I think everybody can understand. Doug's not like, you know, he's not he's not a poor man, but he talks about this just like exasperated and everybody living <laughs> paycheck to paycheck. But I think when you factor in paying to go, you know, for college educations, because I asked him one time, said I didn't even know what the fuck a five twenty. I'm sure some of you people are hearing this right now, especially the younger people who don't have kids. I had no idea what a five twenty nine was. That was a five twenty nine. It's college fund, Missouri College, Missouri State College fund. I didn't before having a kid. I didn't know anything about it. Well, now I set aside a large amount of money each month for that thing. Uh, I wasn't aware of it, and that but that's for one child. If I had three, like my brother has three daughters, I mean, God bless. It's I don't know how people are going to do it. And by the time my son were to get to the, the age of where we would look at sending him to a private high school, if we're in St. Louis, and if that's the direction that he wanted to go. I mean, what's it going to be? I mean, we're talking, what, 12 years from now? I mean, would St. Louis U High be $30,000? If you have less options by that time, too, it could be higher. Yeah, you're right. And then it's going to be, I mean, it's going to make it tougher to get into. It's just, I am, I, I sit in awe of the high school education in St. Louis with regard to private schools, in awe of it. And then at the same time, here I am, somebody who, you know, makes no secret of where I am on um, where I am with regard to faith, not shitting on it, just not, you know, not an active participant. Uh, and I'm sitting there going, I think there might be value to sending our kid to a, a Catholic grade school. I really do. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, I don't know, some, I'm sure some people, because this is a hypersensitive topic, would, will be emailing me and calling me a hypocrite or whatever the case might be. But it's not, it's, it's not about, oh, I want him to, to learn those Catholic teachings. It's more about parental involvement and having a really positive experience with both my grade school education at St. Gabriel's and my high school education at St. Louis U High. Um, but I really don't know which direction we're going to go. But to, just taking a step back, the cost of these edu- educations, I have no idea how people do it, especially if they have multiple children. I, I really don't. I don't know. I don't know what the, you know. Like I was talking about with Doug, he's like, yeah, I just would, I just would peel off the check, you know. But he hadn't been setting it aside, and then the thing just got so aggressive. That's why anytime like colleges come up or books come up for colleges, Doug just loses his shit because it wasn't just the tuition and the room and board. So you get hit with these books and these other bills. It's just, I don't know. I think there. Here's another thing. Here's here are my two talking points for this question from the audience. Uh, uh, number one, uh, of course, uh, I am I'm, I am not pro religion. Number two, I am actually to spend, I am not pro college either. I really think that there is value in going. Yes, I'm not going to go to college. I know, I know, I know that's like zigging to the zag, but I think that there, at this moment, I don't know, in 16 years, and my son would be in that position. I just don't necessarily think that it's something that that is required. I think that I think it's I, th- I think it might be why I view it kind of in the same way as religion. I think it's dogma. I don't necessarily th- now, of course, for certain professions. And fields, it goes without saying it's a necessity. But if you're just kind of going because that's where everybody else is going and you're not going to like anything that's incredibly special for a specialized field, 
I don't know, man. And so what? And then assuming, you're, you know, you're not in a spot where your family's going to bankroll the whole thing, and so you're going to come out of that, you know, like owing the bookie 200 k Fuck. I don't know. Gangster Pete, where are you on that? Uh, I think there's a lot of nuance to it. Uh, I think if you know what you want to do, then it's possible you don't need it because you could start working early, earning earlier, and kind of get your education on the job. 100%. Uh, like you said, there's obviously some things you have to do it for. But, like, I mean, like, say I want to be a welder. I'm not going to college. I learn how to weld and start my own business and be making hundreds of thousands of dollars in a few years. I, I mean, I just, I, I really, I think there's great value to it. And I feel like that as a micro kind of introduced that into the discussion and uh, people now uh, kind of go, yeah, you know what? Maybe there's something to that. Either way, I don't know how long we went with questions from the audience. Gangster Pete. Well, about two hours. Like it. It's about lunchtime. Two hours. We yes, did. sir. Wow. Look at that. See, I just wanted to talk to you. <laughs> Welcome back. To talk to your face. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, I'll, I gotta let you go. Design Air Heating and Cooling, another wonderful sponsor of the podcast. Online at designairservice.com. They are the official HVAC provider. The Ryan Kelly Morning After, and they are a wonderful sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show podcast. At designairservice.com. Online at Design Air Heating and Cooling, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. Thank you to Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan Expert.com. Thank you to Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Thank you to James Carlton, Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, and Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet Online at Landoff.com. Chevy Find New Roads. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. Questions from the audience from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.